let's cut the legal jargon and get the straight talk. It's Lauren O'Brien with Legally Blonde. Yes, well, last Jumped in a little early there. Uh, last week we had been talking uh, about the new legislation which had been introduced to uh, access, um, restrict access to parole for those uh, prisoners convicted of a murder where the body had not been found and where they refused to disclose. So today we're actually taking a look at, at a different aspect of detention. We're looking at um, the ability of the state to prevent someone who has served their sentence from being released at the end of that term. Is it just? Well, joining me on the line to talk about this, of course, is our Legally Blonde contributor, Lauren O'Brien. G'day, Lauren. Good morning, Murdo. How are you going? Good, good. So what is it? Surely if you've done the time, uh, you, you get out, that's the end of it, isn't it? Well, you would hope so. And it is causing quite a bit of uh, a ruckus, really, because... Is it justice, as you're saying, you know, people are saying this is not justice, a law that's keeping more people locked up after their sentence. So if you're ever jailed for a crime, all of us would reasonably hope that we'd do that time in jail and be released at the end of it. But not if you get caught up in something called preventative detention. And this week, the Garlet decision was handed down by the High Court of Australia is it constitutional to deprive someone of their liberty after they've served a term that the court has deemed is adequate for the crime? Uh, apparently, the High Court is saying it's protective rather than punitive. So, okay, so this is actually saying that it's, you know, we're not trying to keep them or keep them. I won't say him them in prison because uh, they deserve longer or uh, it's just about there might be uh, a risk involved that's correct but how does one decide who will and won't go on to commit further crimes you can look at all sorts of statistics of uh, the recidivism which means people that repeatedly offend so you go into prison you come out what is the stats and if anybody's interested that get onto the bureau of um, <laughs> criminal stats no, it is actually boxer. It's um, it's riveting. Well, it's riveting if you're a nerd like me. I, I was going to say there's a special type of uh, riveting, I'm sure. <laughs> well, it's because, you know, the courts keep data of people going in and out. And it is interesting to see as legislation changes or societal factors how, how um, it, it does affect who goes in and out of prison. The big concern with this murder, and it's a big one, and it's a human rights issue, yeah. is... You know, how do you decide who will and won't go on to commit a crime? Well, it's probably no surprises to learn that First Nation peoples are the people that are most affected by this kind of decision. Uh, yeah, so, of course. Uh, and so hmm. it's more likely to have an impact, if it, depending on how generally it's applied, it's more likely to have an impact on specific sectors of the community. That's right. And there's an argument that changing societal norms will mean nothing if the law is still structurally racist. So this decision uh, is the Garlet decision. And um, 
it's a Noongar man, First Nations man, Peter Robert Gahl at 28, challenged Western Australia's high-risk serious offenders legislation after being detained beyond his prison sentence for aggravated robbery. Now, this First Nations man had stolen a necklace and $20 in cash from two victims at their Perth home while pretending to be armed and threatening violence in the company of others. He got three and a half years for that. Wow. Um, so... Lawyers for Garlic argue the legislation was constitutionally invalid because it impaired the integrity of the Western Australian Supreme Court by requiring judges to exercise punitive and non-judicial powers. And all of this comes back to a thing called uh, the Cable Principle. And just in broad brushstrokes, the case of Cable was a New South Wales um, originating case where... A gentleman by the name of Gregory Wayne Cable was convicted of the manslaughter of his wife. He was sentenced to a minimum term of four years with an additional term of one year and four months. So during his imprisonment murder, he was sending threatening letters to his late wife's relatives. And so the authorities were concerned that he's about to get out. And so it's a preemptive strike. But the issue here is, for instance, years ago I had a home invasion of my own. It was, you know, very stressful and traumatic. Oh. But, but, yeah, the um, one of the thieves grabbed my car keys. So I called NRMA and said I, I was trying to claim for the money. Uh, you know, they've got my car key. It was an Alfa Romeo at the time. They said to me, oh, no, we're not going to cover you um, to change the lock on that because that's, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> right. Okay, so so your car your car keys been stolen. The car's worth a bit. Your, your car's insured with us, but we're not going to pay that. Now that might just be a, an I don't know an insurance issue, but it's, the principle's the same. Is how do you preempt? Well, they might come back and steal my car, and then I'm going to claim twenty thousand dollars. Whereas you could give me a thousand dollars to change the key. They go no no no. So it's it's similar, isn't it? If someone's in prison and they've got some behaviour that's worrying authorities yes well they could just be talking big how yeah. do you it, it just gets into that murky area um and the people that are more more likely to come under the purvey of this kind of um law are the most vulnerable people and that's i think what's got people worried and most. obviously the, the the human rights implications are that it's this is the thin end of the wedge um exactly. you know you make a change like this and then you sort of go well we sort of move it down to petty crime um exactly. rather, rather than capital but i suppose um, there is that concern, especially where people have shown no contrition, no remorse, and mm. um, are, base, are, are doubling down in a sense. Um, I suppose that's where the conditions on release would apply, would they not? Where when somebody is yeah. released from custodial sentence, there is a level of monitoring that goes on. We talked about that last, uh, last week. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so this is different in that it does take it a step further. So what happened in the, the cable matter, that's K-A-B-L-E if anyone's interested. Yeah. Cable, basically what happened, the New South Wales passed a legislation called the Community Protection Act 1994. But really, the object of that instrument, we call legislative uh, documents and instruments, that was stated to be the protection of the community. But when it really got, to, when it was whittled down, it was really limited to apply to cable alone. So it's state enacting a document, an instrument, really 
to the yes. community from one person, right? Yeah. So the High Court essentially found when that got to um, the High Court in 2004, um, I think the original case was 1996, but when it got to the High Court, the High Court said that is unconstitutional. Ah, right. And so, because, uh, because yeah. it's specifically, and it's targeted at one individual, um, effectively. So they, yeah. They invalidated that New South Wales legislation because it appeared to be specifically designed to confer non-judicial functions to a court and be directed against a single person alone. And then, so, but, to, but this week, 7th of September, the new judgment came down um, and the Garlet decision, you know. And again, as you mentioned, uh, does it then trickle down to petty crime? So I'm not saying that breaking into someone's house and pretending you're armed and stealing a no. necklace and $20 isn't traumatising. Of course it is. But that's, that's a bit of a, a, a bridge away from a murder. Isn't it? Yes, and I guess those are the those are the issues that have to be taken into account. But you would and, and you would imagine that in the process, uh, it also becomes part of that muddying of the water, especially where there are uh, amongst uh, at election time. There's always that uh, tough on mm. crime appeal that goes out. You know, we want truth in sentencing, which actually removes discretion from uh, the judiciary and it enforces. Yeah. Uh, those sorts of um, uh, punishments uh, without any understanding of the, the subtleties and the nuances that occur in each case. Um, is this part of the problem with this as well, is that it would just be a, a flat uh, application? Well, I, don't, I haven't read the whole judgment yet, Murdo, but... <laughs> what? You've been slapped? I know. I, I mean, I love, I love sniffing around the High Court um, of Australia website. <laughs> uh, but I haven't, I haven't drilled down. But the other, the other two cases, that, if anyone's interested, is Farden, F-A-R-D-O-N, and Baker. So these two, are, um, and I think I sent you a link to one of those earlier, these two demonstrate the lack of constitutional protections afforded to people, as you say, who become the focus of governmental campaigns to be, quote, tough on crime. Yes. So it's the whole tough on crime. Um, perhaps the heavy monitoring seems to me still to be impinging on some human rights. Um, but with regards, for instance, uh, pedophiles, so serious offenders, um, who become, uh, let me just find the legislation, HRSO. So the um, high-risk serious offenders legislation. Okay. okay, so that targets offenders deemed likely to pose an unacceptable risk. And of course, once again, we th there's the emotion because we move away mm. from the sort of the cold, hard eye of the law towards that community emotive um, issue with uh, when, as soon as you mention uh, pedophilia, you know, people say, yeah, lock them away. You know, it, it, it changes the discussion. Well, I think any of us, if we personalise it and think, do I want somebody who had spent a long time in prison for heinous crimes mm. and there were certain things that are hardwired and no amount of, it's my understanding, certain things, um, no amount of psychiatry, psychology or drugs uh, can, can stop those desires, whatever they are. So do we want them living next door to us if we have kids or something like that? 
But then it, then it kind of takes us back to the dark ages and to the, you know, the ship of fools where you would put unwanted people of society on a ship, the mentally ill, the deranged, you know, whatever, and you just would never let them go to port. Kind of gets into that domain, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I, you know, banishment forever. Uh, and, I mean, <laughs> I think they were often a lot more abrupt and cruel than that. But certainly the, the idea of... And that's where we're coming back to some of the issues we spoke about last week where we were talking about um, how you help people to reintegrate into society. Now, as you said, there are some hard, some theor- supposedly hardwired issues uh, which are much more difficult to address, but to rehabilitate criminals and to encourage them to become you know useful contributors uh, that's obviously the preferred option but as you say sometimes it can become a little bit uh, hard to determine when you've got um, emotive issues and politicians uh, from both political uh, colors trying to uh, I suppose G up the crowd well, we're meant to be closing the gap, aren't we? So hopefully mm. the Uluru Statement from the Heart and enshrining a, a First Nations people's voice in the Constitution, surely that would have to just, one would hope, um, affect these kinds of laws or, you know, here's the law, but, oh, we're also going to make another protective law. You know, it's, yes. I don't know. It's well, a little bit fresh, but I will read that High Court judgment between now and next week, if you like, <laughs> and uh, we can discuss it a little bit further. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure that uh, it'll, it'll sit on the bedside table. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you sad individual, you. <laughs> yeah. Look, I, I'm not even embarrassed about it. No, I know. You're proudly <laughs> boasting. No, look, if we can, that would be good. But uh, as you said, maybe in order to address, and that's probably one of the issues that we are going to have to face in the the whole uh, sort of uh, voice uh, and the discussions around uh, the uh, referendum about those other consequences and flows through which will require us to take a, a cold hard look at uh, at our relationship with our First Nations uh, citizens. Yes. Well, a ju- National Justice Project Principal Solicitor George Newhouse said that this scheme is being used, quote, to track Aboriginal people in the criminal justice system even after they've done their time. Instead of weighing them down with a ball and chain, the Western Australian government should provide people leaving the criminal justice system with the support they need to integrate back into the community. Um, look, That's as you exactly say, it's... Uh, yep. <laughs> we, we've, uh, we've substituted, um, uh, uh, I suppose, legal... Uh, instruments to replace the physical ball and chain uh, that used to uh, encumber um, our uh, First Nations uh, peoples. Look, Lauren, as you said, always lots to talk about and plenty to cover in there. And uh, so I'll let you uh, get back to pouring over the High Court judgment. (laughs) uh, I'll just say this before, don't knock it till you try it. (laughs) <laughs> Look, I'm sorry. Um, I, I'm a scientist from way back. I studied science at uni and I used to keep a copy of organic chemistry beside my bed for when I couldn't sleep. <laughs> it was, I'd just pick it up, Fessenden and Fessenden, organic chemistry. I'd get a, a paragraph in and I'd be off. It was the greatest treat, uh, wow. cure for insomnia. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right, Lauren O'Brien, our legally blonde expert there, talking us through the uh, the cable judgment and the implications uh, for preventative uh, preventive detention um, and the flow and effects. Um, and we'll follow up maybe with that uh, next week. See uh, see how far the uh, High Court judgment goes. Um, you're on uh, Newcastle Live with Murdermack. It's uh, 27 minutes to 11. The information provided in Legally Blonde is for general information purposes only and should not be taken as professional advice.